Chapter Ten of Little Women. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mary Anderson. Little Women by Louisa May Alcott. Chapter Ten. The P.C. and the P.O. As spring came on, a new set of amusements became the fashion, and the lengthening days gave long afternoons for work and play of all sorts. The garden had to be put in order, and each sister had a quarter of the little plot to do what she liked with. Hannah used to say, "I'd know which each of them gardenings belonged to if I see 'em in Chiny," and so she might. For the girls' tastes differed as much as their characters. Meg's had roses and heliotrope, myrtle and a little orange tree in it. Joe's bed was never alike two seasons, for she was always trying experiments. This year it was to be a plantation of sunflowers, the seeds of which cheerful and aspiring plant were to feed Aunt Cockletop and her family of chicks. Beth had old-fashioned, fragrant flowers in her garden: sweet peas and mignonette, larkspur, pinks, pansies, and southernwood, with chickweed for the birds and catnip for the pussies. Amy had a bower in hers, rather small and earwiggy, but very pretty to look at, with honeysuckle and morning glories hanging their colored horns and bells in graceful wreaths all over it. Tall white lilies, delicate ferns, and as many brilliant picturesque plants as would consent to blossom there. Gardening, walks, rows on the river, and flower hunts employed the fine days, and for rainy ones they had the house diversions, some old, some new, all more or less original. One of these was the P.C. For as secret societies were the fashion, it was thought proper to have one, and as all the girls admired Dickens, they called themselves the Pickwick Club. With a few interruptions, they had kept this up for a year, and met every Saturday evening in the big garret. On which occasions the ceremonies were as follows: three chairs were arranged in a row before a table on which was a lamp, also four white badges. With a big P.C. in different colors on each, and the weekly newspaper called the Pickwick Portfolio, to which all contributed something, while Joe, who reveled in pens and ink, was the editor. At seven o'clock, the four members ascended to the club room, tied their badges round their heads, and took their seats with great solemnity. Meg, as the eldest, was Samuel Pickwick. Joe, being of a literary turn, was Augustus Snodgrass. Beth, because she was round and rosy, Tracy Tupman, and Amy, who was always trying to do what she couldn't, was Nathaniel Winkle. Pickwick, the president, read the paper, which was filled with original tales, poetry, local news, funny advertisements, and hints. In which they good-naturedly reminded each other of their faults and shortcomings. On one occasion, Mister Pickwick put on a pair of spectacles without any glass, rapped upon the table, hemmed, 
and having stared hard at Mr. Snodgrass, who was tilting back in his chair till he arranged himself properly, began to read. The Pickwick Portfolio, May 20th, 18-- Poet's Corner, Anniversary Ode Again we meet to celebrate, with badge and solemn rite, our fifty-second anniversary in Pickwick Hall tonight. We all are here in perfect health, none gone from our small band. Again we see each well-known face, and press each friendly hand. Our Pickwick, always at his post, with reverence we greet, as spectacles on nose he reads our well-filled weekly sheet. Although he suffers from a cold, we joy to hear him speak, for words of wisdom from him fall, in spite of croak or squeak. Old six-foot snodgrass looms on high with elephantine grace, and beams upon the company with brown and jovial face. Poetic fire lights up his eye, he struggles gainst his lot. Behold ambition on his brow and on his nose a blot. Next our peaceful Tupman comes, so rosy, plump, and sweet, who chokes with laughter at the puns and tumbles off his seat. Prim little Winkle, too, is here with every hair in place, a model of propriety, though he hates to wash his face. The year is gone, we still unite to joke and laugh and read, and tread the path of literature that doth to glory lead. Long may our paper prosper well, our club unbroken be, and coming years their blessings pour on the useful gay P.C. A. Snodgrass The Masked Marriage, A Tale of Venice Gondola after gondola swept up to the marble steps, and left its lovely load to swell the brilliant throng that filled the stately halls of Count Adelon. Knights and ladies, elves and pages, monks and flower-girls, all mingled gaily in the dance. Sweet voices and rich melody filled the air, and so with mirth and music the masquerade went on. "'Has your highness seen the Lady Viola tonight?' asked a gallant troubadour of the fairy queen, who floated down the hall upon his arm. "'Yes. Is she not lovely, though so sad? Her dress is well chosen, too, for in a week she weds Count Antonio, whom she passionately hates. "'By my faith I envy him. Yonder he comes, arrayed like a bridegroom, except the black mask.' When that is off, we shall see how he regards the fair maid, whose heart he cannot win, though her stern father bestows her hand, returned the troubadour. Tis whispered that she loves the young English artist, who haunts her steps, and is spurned by the old count, said the lady, as they joined the dance. The revel was at its height when a priest appeared, and withdrawing the young pair to an alcove, hung with purple velvet, he motioned them to kneel. Instant silence fell on the gay throng, and not a sound, but the dash of fountains or the rustle of orange groves sleeping in the moonlight broke the hush, as Count d'Adelon spoke thus. My lords and ladies, 
Pardon the ruse by which I have gathered you here to witness the marriage of my daughter. Father, we wait your services. All eyes turned toward the bridal party, and a murmur of amazement went through the throng, for neither bride nor groom removed their masks. Curiosity and wonder possessed all hearts, but respect restrained all tongues till the holy rite was over. Then the eager spectators gathered round the count, demanding an explanation. Gladly would I give it if I could, but I only know that it was the whim of my timid Viola, and I yielded to it. Now, my children, let the play end. Unmask and receive my blessing. But neither bent the knee, for the young bridegroom replied in a tone that startled all listeners as the mask fell, disclosing the noble face of Ferdinand Devereux, the artist lover, and leaning on the breast where now flashed the star of an English earl was the lovely Viola, radiant with joy and beauty. My lord, you scornfully bade me claim your daughter when I could boast as high a name and vast a fortune as the Count Antonio. I can do more, for even your ambitious soul cannot refuse the Earl of Devereux and Devere when he gives his ancient name and boundless wealth in return for the beloved hand of this fair lady, now my wife. 